So today is exciting because I'm going to give you two for the price of one. We're going to do two passages of Scripture. So let me encourage you, if you have a Bible, it'll also be on the screen. But we're in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 2. So if you need to open up two apps on your phone or if you have a Bible, keep your finger in one place. uh, Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 2. So first, Romans chapter 12, let me read to you from verses 3 through 8. So hear now this reading of God's word. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have, verse 6, different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And now, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you for this chance that we have now with Bibles open to talk about the church. And so we ask for your grace. We ask for your spirit to guide us, to lead us. And most of all, we pray that through this teaching, through these words, we would encounter Jesus and be changed as a result. So be with us now during this time. We ask all this for your glory, for our good, as we pray together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Now, as I've mentioned, we're in this series, our vision and values, what makes our church tick. And beginning this Sunday and carrying on for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the church. What does it mean to be part of the church? What does God say about the church? And so you can think of this sermon today as an introduction to the next couple of weeks. And looking at these two passages, Romans 12 and Ephesians 2, I want to show you three things this morning about the church, the challenge of the church, the identity of the church, and the power we need to be the church. So the church, its challenge, its identity, and the power we need if we're going to be a church. So first, let's spend a couple of minutes talking about the challenge of the church. If you were to glance at the passages that I just read, you would see phrases or words describing what the church is. And so let me just give you a quick summary. 
In these passages, we see phrases like one body, members. We see the word belong or belonging. In Ephesians, Paul talks about the church as God's household. And then later he says the church is God's temple, the place that God dwells. So think of those words, God's household, one body, members belonging to each other. Now, if you were sitting down with the Apostle Paul for coffee and you were to say to him, what is the church? Those are the answers he would give you. Notice, according to these passages and according to Paul, church is not an event that you attend. It's a family to which you belong. When you read these passages and you get a summary of what the New Testament says about the church, it's not a place you go to on Sundays. It's an identity that you have as a follower of Jesus. Church is not somewhere we go, it's something we are. And that's what these images suggest. You are a family, you are a body, you are a temple, a building built together. Now, as we say that, for many of us, this is actually really challenging. Because if church were just an event that we attend, then we could just pick our favorite one and show up whenever convenient. But if church is a family, that's a kind of commitment. That's a kind of intensity that gets up in our face. It gets into our business. And for many of us, that's challenging. Because we live in a time in which people want some kind of spirituality but are less interested in institutions. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who will say to me something like, I'm into Jesus, but I'm just not that into the church. And there are good reasons for that. Let me give you a couple of them. One reason why today people find church attendance and being part of a church really challenging is because all across our society, institutions are failing and leaders are falling. All throughout our society, there are people in power, people who are supposed to be showing care and love and service, who are instead using their power to abuse and to take advantage and to neglect the very people that they're called to serve. That's true outside of the church, but it's also true inside of the church. And if you're part of the Christian world at all, you'll know that it seems like every couple of months, there's some prominent spiritual leader who is embroiled in scandal. And something is exposed and they fall and people are hurt. And for many of you, that journey is not just abstract and in the news, it's personal. Some of you have been part of churches in which someone or some group of leaders has not honored Christ the way they should. And the result was a kind of spiritual trauma that came into the community where people were hurt or taken advantage of or neglected. And for many of you, that's real and that's personal. And so for you to even be here today or even to click on via Zoom is an act of courage to regather with the people of God. But I think the thing we're trying to say at this moment is for many people, the idea of being part of a church, committing to a church is really hard, even scary because of how greatly leaders and institutions have failed us. And so that's circulating in our city, in our world, in our minds, as we think about what it means to be part of a church. Here's another reason, though, why being part of a church is so hard. Recently, I read a book by a guy named Pete Davis. The book just came out. And the book is called Dedicated. And he describes our culture, so our generation, as being the one in which 
we are living in an age of infinite browsing. An age of infinite browsing. He gives the example early in the book that many of you, I'm sure, have experienced. You're sitting on your sofa, it's evening, and you want to watch a movie. So you open up Netflix, and what do you do? You spend about two hours looking through the movies, trying to decide which one you're going to watch. And what he says is that's actually an illustration of our whole culture, that we are looking but not committing, that instead of just picking a movie that might be mediocre, but at least we'll get to watch it, we spend hours scrolling and searching. And he says, when you think about it, that's actually the defining characteristic of our entire generation. He says there in his book, we have trouble committing to relationships, endlessly swiping through potential partners. We uproot ourselves often, jumping from place to place, searching for the next best thing. Some of us don't commit to a career path because we're worried that we'll be stuck doing something that doesn't quite fit our true self. We don't just have low attention spans, but we now also have low commitment spans. The age of infinite browsing. Now, apply that to a church. We are, if as a generation, so interested in keeping our options open, it's no wonder that we bounce around from church to church to church. Because if our mindset is we'll commit as long as it's convenient, well, we've already said committing to a church is really scary and can be messy. It can be hard. And yet this is the cultural drinking water that's in front of all of us, part of our world today, keeping options open. We have commitment phobia, afraid to commit to something good because something better might come along in the future. And so this is the world in which we live. This is the city in which we live. And so even as we begin as a church to say, what does it mean to be a community of Christians following God together in London? These are the challenges that we must wrestle with. These are the challenges that we must engage. And now, let me say this. As we wrap up this point about the church being such a challenge in terms of overcoming some mindsets and some cultural obstacles, let me just say as clear as I can that my reading of the New Testament suggests that following Jesus requires doing so in a community. I'm not saying that there aren't moments in which certain communities do need to take ownership and responsibility for their actions. They do. But there's no option in my mind of reading the New Testament and concluding that you can follow Jesus apart from his church. But when we recognize and step back and say that actually the church is a family, it gives us a new way of thinking about the church. Because let's be honest, family is hard. Even the healthiest families are really tough. And in our families, guess what? You don't really get to pick. I have a younger brother. He's one year, about a year and a half younger than me. When I was one year old, my parents didn't sit me down and say, hey, Bijan, we're thinking about having another kid, but before we do, we want to get your feedback. Because if we have another kid, it's going to dramatically change the rest of your life. They just went for it and had another kid, and then I had a sibling. And what that, what that means is I, I belong to him, and he belongs to me. We have a claim on each other. His joys have been my joys. My sorrows have been his. We're a family. I didn't choose him, but there he was. And so when you show up on a Sunday morning, God picks our brothers and sisters. When you go to your community group, God picks who gets to be there. We're a church. We're a family with all the joys and also all the mess and hardship that comes along with being a family. 
And I want to say that in the midst of the very real challenges that we face, whether it's hurt in the past or this commitment phobia that's in our culture, as we face those challenges, committing to a church is an act of radical spiritual formation. It's this counterculture of commitment. So that's what I want to now talk about. If that's the challenge of the church that we have to wrestle with, what is the identity of the church to which we're being called to commit? What is the identity of the church? Let me give it to you in a sentence, and then we're going to spend some time unpacking it. The church is a family of people who are both needy and needed. The family is a, the church is a family of people who are both needy and needed. And you got to hear me. I'm not saying that in the church, there are some people who are needy and there are other people who are needed. I'm saying that in the church, every person is both at the same time needy and needed. That's what we are as a church, a family of needy and needed people. And I get that from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21. The image that Paul uses, the most dominant image in this passage that Paul uses to describe the church is temple. He says that the church is a temple. Now, what's a temple? Well, in olden times, the temple was a physical structure. It was a building that housed the very presence of God. So if you want to meet with God, you have to go to the temple. That's why throughout the Old Testament, God is always saying to people, come to Jerusalem, come to Jerusalem, because that's where the temple was. And so if you want to have an encounter with God, if you want to meet him, if you want to be in his presence, you've got to get to where the temple is. But here's the great wonder that by the time we get to this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, the temple is no longer a place. The temple becomes a people. God dwells in his people in the way that he once dwelt in the temple. So if you take that forward, what Paul's saying, to put as fine a point on it as I can, that in London, Reality Church is meant to be a temple. We are meant to be a place, a gathering, a body that makes the presence of God known in our city. And that's not just true for our church. That's true for any church, for every church that loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. Temples all throughout our city that people can engage with and interact with to experience the very presence of God. And by the way, friends, I mean that when we gather on Sundays, but also when you live your life scattered throughout this city. So being the temple is not just a Sunday thing, it's a 24-7, seven-day-a-week thing. The people of God become the representatives of his presence all throughout their world. We're a temple. Now, that's what Paul says the church is. You're a temple. But I want to take that image and I want to think about it. I want to meditate with it, uh, with you about that image for just a couple of minutes because it's endlessly rich. So let's say, yes, Paul, you're right. The church is a temple. Reality Church London is meant to be a temple in London. Great. What does that mean? What's the impact? What does that mean practically? Well, think about it this way. If you were to picture in your mind's eye a temple, if you were to close your eyes and think about what it looks like, what would you picture? You'd probably picture a large building that's made up of individual stones. So what you have is a bunch of small stones being built and fit together into a tight, close relationship. And when those stones are built together in that tight, personal, intimate relationship, something beautiful is established a building or a temple. 
Do you see what that means? If we are a temple, then that means every person in the church is like a stone. And if every person in the church is like a stone, then here's what that means. Think about the image. Every stone in that building is both supporting some stones and being supported by some stones. So every stone in that temple building is resting on other stones and other stones are resting on it. To say it differently, every Christian in the church is needy and needed. Every Christian in the church, just like every stone in a building, has to rest on others and others have to rest on you. And only when that's happening, only when we as a church live out our identity as a needy and needed people, are we actually able to be the church, be the presence of God in our city. This is what the church is. The church isn't a club. It's not an event. It's a family of people who support others and are supported by others. You're needed and you're needy. Let me just take a few minutes to unpack both of those ideas. First, this image tells us that you need the church. And of course you do. Of course you do. Life is hard. Spiritual life is really hard. Following God is a challenge sometimes. And so we need a safe place to come, to be honest about our weaknesses, to be honest about our sin, to be honest about our struggle, to get encouragement, not just people telling us what to do, but a place where it's simply safe to say, bah, this is what I'm going through. And a community of people who will support, who will challenge in all the best ways, but who will love and walk with us. That's what the church is supposed to be. And you need that. I need that. I need a place where I get to come and in the midst of the burdens of my day, I get to hear praise music like what we sung today that lifts me up into the heavens. I need scripture. I need teaching. I need instruction that builds up my faith. I need the sacrament. I need to feed on the body and the blood of Jesus. I need to see people baptized and brought into the family. I need the church. And for many of us, acknowledging our need, saying I'm needy and I need another community, that's really tough for us to do. Because we live in a time in which acknowledging weakness is seen as something that's really not that great. For example, in 1950, there was a polling organization and they asked students who were about to go off to uni, do you think of yourself as a very important person? So do you think of yourself as great, as awesome, as a very important person? In 1950, 12% of students replied saying, yes, I'm very important. The same polling organization asked that very same question in 2005. Only this time, 80% of students going off to uni said, yes, I'm a very important person. And what's happened? Well, one sociologist looking at that change said, we now live in the culture of the big me, in which every person thinks that they're awesome and that the world revolves around them. And in such a culture, it's hard to admit weakness. It's hard to say, actually, I need others. I'm not self-reliant. I'm not totally self-dependent. I'm weak and I'm broken and I can't figure this out on my own. And for those of us who are willing to take the bold risk of saying I'm needy, 
the church becomes incredibly good news because it's meant to be a community that's safe to be needy. It's safe to be broken. It's a cliche, but I've got to say it. Many have said the church is not meant to be a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. May we be that kind of church where needy people come and we say, join the club. We're all needy together. We're all broken together. And we come together to experience Jesus who meets us in our brokenness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who thought a lot about church and community, has a wonderful little book called Life Together. And in that book, he says this, the Christian needs another Christian who will speak God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself, he can't help himself. We need each other because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in your own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of your brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. Bonhoeffer saying that in seasons of struggle and doubt, we need the community because we encounter Jesus through the community. We're needy. We need the church. That's the first thing that the image of temple shows us. You're a stone. You need the support of others. You need to acknowledge your need. But the second thing, not only are you needy, but the second thing the image shows us is the church needs you. We need you. Reality Church London needs you. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. Paul says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. Paul saying, giving us an image, of course, you have a body. Your body has a head, it has arms, it has feet. And all those members of your body do different things. But they're all equally important. And the image he's giving is the church is like that one body in which every person in the church has a different function, but they have a valuable one. So one of the great dangers, right, is you walk into a church like this and you think, ah, the church is what's happening on stage. And these are the really important parts. No, these are just the visible ones. But Paul saying that every member of the body has a function, has a role to play. And you are absolutely needed if this church is going to be and to accomplish all that God is calling us to be and do in our city. Every church is needed. And Paul actually, at the end of Romans 12, gives a list of gifts. Do you remember we read it? Teaching, generosity, leading, showing mercy. Now, that's not meant to be comprehensive, but it's Paul's way of saying this. There are way more gifts that are needed in the church than any one person possesses. And so the only way that you're going to fill the experience of what God is calling you to be and do is if you come together with a recognition that everyone has something to contribute. Everyone has something to bring. Every person is needed, and therefore everyone is valuable in the church. Every person has something to bring. And so let me say as clear as I can, your background, your perspective on things, your experiences, your gifts, and your passions, the church needs it. We need that if we're going to be the kind of community that actually serves London to the fullness of the ways that we're called to. And you know, this is a really exciting way to think about what the church is. What if we were saying to people, not come to our church because we need more people, but actually come to our church because we need things that only you can bring. I mean, it changes the way we think about engaging with others. 
There's this great story in the Old Testament. I'll be brief here. But in Numbers chapter 10, Moses is leading the people out of Egypt, and they're making their way through the wilderness. And so there's a man named Hobab. Now, Hobab is an ethnic outsider. He's not part of the people of God. He's not part of Israel. But Moses is feeling called to invite him into the community. So Moses, as they're about to begin their journey, says to Hobab, why don't you come with us? We'll take care of you. We'll bless you. We'll give you good things. And Hobab says, no, thanks. I'm not interested. And Moses is like, dang it. My church growth strategy isn't working. So he rethinks it. And then he says to Hobab, actually, Hobab, listen, you know this area better than any of us do. I mean, you grew up here. So please come with us and you can be our eyes. We need you. You have gifts and you have passion and you have experiences that we don't have. So please join our community and help us. And Hobab says, okay, I'm in. And Hobab commits. Now, a couple hundred years later, Israel is engaged in a great battle. And this neighboring army, one of their leaders, comes into the camp of Israel. And this woman named Jael sees this enemy approach. And in an act of great courage and and a very daring way, she goes out and she fights against this adversary and strikes him down. And the people of Israel are saved. The people of Israel are victorious. They have a great victory that day because of Jael. And you read a little bit more in the passage about Jael, and you realize she's a descendant of Hobab. She's from the family of Hobab. What's the point? Because Moses was willing to say, we need you. Not just can we help you, but we need you. You have something that we don't have, and we're willing to acknowledge we need you in our community. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, the family of God is still blessed by the presence of that family in their midst. What if we become a church that's able to say we need each other? It's not just that we have things to offer, but we have things that we need from the people around us, things that we can learn, ways that we can be challenged and grow because of what you bring. This is the image of the church that is laid forth for us if we're a temple. We're needy and needed. So let me just say before we move on now to our final point, earlier I mentioned our church membership class. What is church membership? It's raising your hand and saying, I know that I'm needy and needed. I know that I need a church, and I know that this church needs me. And so I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit to a community, commit to an imperfect, broken family that's seeking to follow God together and to acknowledge I'm needy and I'm needed. And so if you're interested in learning more about our church, and if that's something you might want to consider committing to, please, again, sign up for that membership class. 31 October, 1 November. But now, we have to conclude by asking this question, well, where do we get the power to be the church? If that's what the church is, this family of needy and needed people, what power do we need if we're going to be that kind of community and our city? Here's the answer. We need humility and we need courage. We need humility to say, I'm needy, and we need courage to be able to say, and I know I'm needed. I'm broken and I'm weak, but I also have something to offer. We need humility to acknowledge our neediness, courage to acknowledge that we can contribute. Where do we get that humility and courage? Well, let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. We get it from Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone. 
we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now that phrase cornerstone, it's a architectural term. The cornerstone is the stone in the building upon which every other stone depends. The cornerstone is the thing that gives the building its structural integrity. Without the cornerstone, eventually everything is going to be shaky and come falling down. And Paul is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is the church's cornerstone. He is the thing that holds it together. And of course he is. Because when you look at the life of Jesus and when you see what Jesus did on the cross, you see the only one who was truly all-sufficient. I mean, this is God who put the stars in the sky. And yet on the cross, what is Jesus doing? He, the only truly all-sufficient one, becomes needy. Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, cries out, I thirst. I mean, what a stunning fact that the one who made every river was thirsty. That on the cross, the Lord Jesus actually takes upon himself the thirst of the world. The great longing of every human heart is embodied in Jesus as he cries out, I thirst. The only all-sufficient one became needy. And why did he do that? Because he was dying as a substitute. He was dying in our place. Jesus meets us with great humility and sacrifice. And when you see that, when your eyes are transfixed, as we sang earlier, transfixed on Jesus, what happens is you become a person who says, if that's the kind of love that has saved me, if that's the kind of sacrifice that has reached down to give me meaning and identity and security, then I can acknowledge my own need in this community. I can say, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm broken. I know I have all kinds of sin. And I'm willing to acknowledge that and come into the community. And then we say, but look at how glad Jesus was to die for me. Look at how much love and joy he had as he laid down his life. Not only am I seen to the bottom, I'm loved to the sky. As Jesus renews me and saves me and brings me into the family. And so what the gospel, what the person of Jesus does is it gives us humility to acknowledge our need and it gives us courage to say we have something to contribute. This is what's possible as we fix our eyes on Jesus. The gospel gives us all we need to be this kind of church. A church where people can say, I'm needy and needed. And so now is our time to respond, to come to Jesus and say, we need you. We need you to give us the courage and the safety we need to be this kind of church. So church, let's do that now as we respond. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for these passages that help us have a vision for what kind of church we could be, the kind of church that you're calling us to be. And now we pray for the power of your spirit to transform us, to make us into a community of needy and needed people to give us space and to give us joy and to give us encouragement to be your temple in this city, a place where people can encounter you. And we know that starts right now as we encounter you. So be with us in this time of response, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.